Hi, I'm Joanna Chaundy and you're listening to Series 2 of Baggy Jeans, the podcast, where I chat to the female singers that made the 90s R&B era so unforgettable. We take a nostalgic look back at the music, the industry, the videos and the fashion. So whether you're a newbie to this genre or just want to come and reminisce, tune into Baggy Jeans, where I unpick the seams of 90s R&B. My guest this week is Tabitha from Cut Close, the trio introduced to us by the legendary R&B crooner Keith Sweat. Enjoying sultry hits such as Get Up On It and Twisted, Cut Close could have released a lot more music had it not been for in-house divisiveness. Still regularly performing together, Tabitha chats to me about the issues around being in another star's shadow. Thank you so much for agreeing to be one of our guests on the Baggy Jeans podcast. We are super happy to have you. We've been trying to get you for ages, but you are a hard woman to pin down. You know, I'm not really a a social media checker, like messages and stuff, because there's so many to go through sometimes and it gets a little overwhelming. That's fair enough, because, of course, in the 90s, back when you guys were at your peak, social media was not a thing. Right. Right. That's a different kind of thing, too. You know, just being an artist now with social media being out, it was quite different when I was, I guess, my youngin days. Because oh, I can say that. Oh, I'm old. You still look young, Tabitha. Don't worry. You look good. Look, I stay in the gym like you was in the gym. I stay in that joker, too, now. I know you do, but you look you you do a lot more in the gym than I do than I do. Trust me. I've seen your Instagram pictures. Well, firstly, for our listeners, everyone. um Back in the 90s, we'll absolutely remember Cut Close. You were one of the trios that definitely put your stamp on 90s R&B. And mm. trios were a kind of thing back then, right? There was a lot of trios around. You had like TLC, you know, Total, 702, Jade. What made you decide you wanted to be in a trio for a start? Well, you know, my thinking, because, you know, we all uh, have or will run into a woman that can kind of get under your skin in the worst kinds of ways. And we know that it's difficult to deal with each other at times. Right. So if I'm going to ever, you know, have somebody in my life, then it's probably smart to keep the number pretty low, you know, to, to weed out, you know, all of the confusion, but enough people to have three part harmony. How did you, Athena and Levon? meet how did you all become a group well I lived here in Atlanta I moved here in 91 and decided you know after I had been here for maybe a couple years already that I wanted to um, put a group together and so when I put the energy out there that I wanted to put a group together I started to look for people and since um you know you basically go off of the connections that you have that's in your circle um, quite naturally, we reached out to the friends that we knew and just put the word out there, you know, if they knew somebody who actually, you know, could sing and, you know, wanted to be in a group, whatever, just let everybody know. So um, it, we had a friend, um, me and my boyfriend at the time had a friend that um, lived in Indianapolis because that's where I moved from to Atlanta um, after I graduated high school. I had a mutual friend that worked with him while he lived in Indianapolis and, you know, said that his niece could sing. And gave us her demo tape, and that was Athena. So when I heard her demo tape, I mean, you know, of course I was blown away. And she immediately became, like, one of my favorite singers of all time because I was just so amazed and, you know, outdone by her performance. 
and to know her age and all that stuff. And I'm like, wow, it's pretty cool. And, you know, it's always, it was always intriguing to me um, how music made me feel. So she just basically, you know, touched that part of me that wanted me to, you know, allow her to be in my circles. And so we got together with another girl that is not in the group because she just didn't mesh well. She was very tall and me and Athena are kind of the same height somewhat. Um, of course, I'm tall. I'm always going to say that because I feel good when I'm around them because they make me feel tall. <laughs> but um, I'm all of five one, and, you know, Athena, they're my underneath five feet. I'm not going to, you know, tell them how much, you know, how short the munchkins really are. <laughs> and so this girl was like five nine or something. I'm like, uh... This is like, you know, a heartbeat. You know how the little thing that do this, you know. <laughs> yeah, that would look odd. That was not tight. So, and she wasn't really, you know, a good singer as well. We needed someone that could blend in the vocal and actually sing and not be flat or sharp. You know what I'm saying? That was something that I was very strict on. I wanted everybody to be able to sing and pull it off. I wanted people who knew more about it than I did, who were more polished than I was. I wanted to be the weakest link. I wanted everybody to be better than me, you know, in that way. That's yeah, a different that, way of looking at it. Not many people look at it like that. Levon actually called trying to be in a group that Keith had already had, which was my friends. They were my friends. And so she came down and auditioned for our group. And she just happened to be a soprano because we needed a soprano, you know. And she happened to be just as short as us and looked like us. And it was like, <laughs> so and was, is that where the name came from? Because you had so many similarities. Yes, absolutely. That's, you know, that's why I felt like it was probably good for me to have chosen that you know, because it fit everything, you know what I'm saying? And it, I don't believe in coincidence, you know what I mean? So everything was the way it was supposed to be for a reason, you know what I mean? So we were just so uh, close knit in a whole bunch of different ways where cut close is the best way to almost say the same. Um, From the front yeah. of your Surrender album, your, your, your first album, you all look so cute and young and similar. Yeah. You all have similar like expressions and the girly look and one thing's for sure, we were all dumb. That's what that's one thing. <laughs> As a fan, and obviously you were you were big in London and we knew a lot about Cut Close. You were to us brought out by Keith Sweat. But it's important to state Keith Sweat did not discover you. You kind of discovered him. Is that right? Absolutely. We was looking through the blinds, looking at him. You know what I'm saying? People think that he was looking at us, but we, I was looking at him. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And how did that come about? Because it, it's quite is it quite infuriating sometimes when groups are brought out by a big artist? So they always have that kind of comparison and connection. You're always referred to yeah. with Pete Sweat. It must be quite difficult to break out. Well, I mean, you, we haven't broken out yet. We're still in that jail. And I'm saying it's hard because, you know, a lot of people just look at us as being the background singers of Pete Sweat. And I'm like, uh, no. We kind of like are our own entity. He just happened to have been an artist that had his own record deal that, you know, signed, you know, different people, you know, because we weren't his only group. Silk was his group as well. You know what I mean, and uh, unfortunately, you know, this business is a little, you know, teeter tottery It's a little off balance. You know what I'm saying? And how people present themselves and how they tend to make you feel about yourself in many ways, you know. But I will say this is one of the toughest businesses in the world. And if you're able to do it, it will 
increase your character if you uh, receive what you need to in a positive way. Because when you came out, you you had that very same sound that Keith Sweat kind of had. So we knew you were like part of Keith Sweat's crew. The same way Changing Faces were part of He Who Shall Not Be Named's crew. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Again, for them, though, it must be infuriating to always have that the questions asked you about Keith Sweat you know and and uh, I'm sure initially it was great because he's given you a platform for people to know who you guys are but at what point in your career did you realize actually this is actually stifling us now we need to do our own thing and be recognized about 15 years ago I might even go back about 20 years ago Mm -hmm. you know when I did the fallout of what happened Mm -hmm. you know and um, how it happened and um, what has basically uh, this career and this choice in life has taught me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I've, I've definitely uh, been in a position to understand why things are and my purpose in being able to continue what I'm supposed to do while I'm here. Right. And so um, even though there's a lot of disparities that I feel about how things transpired in this career and, you know, with people that you feel like should have your back or should at least put you in a position where you make them feel like you actually care for them, you know, as a human being and not just see someone as a commodity situation. It's just about money. You know what I mean? Because we all are walking spirits here. And so um, I realized that I was in a heck of a situation with understanding the entrapment um, when I wasn't able to get away from the stigmata of how I came into the business, who I came into the business with, and what we talk about. It's kind of hard to get out of the sexual connotation of what our album or From a fan's perspective, you guys came out in 1995 that first album, I think, was really big as far as our 90s R&B fans are concerned. You had your ties with Keith Sweat and you released some really, really dope singles. And obviously, Twisted, which was Keith's song. I mean, personally, like I've heard you say before, that track would not be the track it was if it hadn't have been for Cut Close. You're almost like, why did Cut Close never have a, a, a big second album? What happened? Well, Twisted was actually a song that Cut Close recorded before our album ever came out. And so Keith heard it and, you know, put his voice on it, you know. We, you know, wrote it, you know what I mean? And so, you know, but when he gets a hold of things, you know, you have to give up half of what you own, really. And, you know, so it's like, you know, difficult to to swallow those kinds of things when people steal your your birthright when you've created something and then they take it for themselves or make you feel like you don't deserve anything from it he kind of like you know put us in a position where we had animosity you know towards the business and resentment towards the business which the business sometimes included us as individuals sometimes it included him you know what i'm saying sometimes it included promoters and it's just everybody around you there's always somebody that'll try to break you up. And, and that, that's basically what happened with us, you know? And so they kind of pulled one and pulled the other and pulled, you know what I'm saying? So it kind of separated us. So it was very divisive between the three of you. 
they play divide and conquer. They tried to replace a couple of us and, you know, recreate the group. And I'm like, man, come on, man. I felt some type of way because I felt like the group belonged to me because it was, you know what I'm saying? That I'm, I, I hold very dear to it because it was my dream. Athena broke out for a while, didn't she, to do her own thing. Uh, that must have been quite a turbulent time, I guess, for you and Levon, kind of watching that happen while you guys yeah. can't really move forward. We, you know, we kind of saw it coming, you know what I'm saying? And how Keith, you know, started to kind of separate some of the things that made us feel some type of way, you know. But at the, in the end of the day, you know what I'm saying? What would you expect her to do? She can't stop her life. What was Keith Sweat like to work with in the studio and if you're on tour? I mean, was it a difficult process? It was very difficult to work with Keith because he was a very big perfectionist. You know what I mean? And I don't know that he knew what he was really looking for as far as um, a certain feeling, because sometimes he used the same, the first thing that you did, you know what I mean? After freaking eight hours later, you know what I mean? Like, what? What did we do that for? And sometimes just, you know, whether to see if there's anything else, you know, to find out if you can do it inside of a song. And so I think that he probably, you know, looked at me being a songwriter now and a producer myself, and understanding how to put us on together and looking for a certain feel. Sometimes if it doesn't settle in your spirit, right, you just you let people sing, sing until you be like, oh, that's it. And sometimes that just never comes. And and not realizing that that part was not that important for you to even spend that much time on, you know, I felt like we had a lot of moments like that. But it taught us a lot. You know, it helped us. Everything that we went through with Keith taught us to be uh, better people if you look at it positively. And what you know was that? the reason why you guys didn't release a second album? Well, because we weren't together. And you, you never know? you never thought, well, you had deals with Electra, right? Were you kind of confined in a contract? Well, we had a deal through Keith and then through Electra. So we were signed through his record label, which was signed to Electra. So it wasn't like we could leave Keith and then go to Electra. Although I'm sure, you know, some people would have preferred for it to be that way. But, you know, when they tried to recreate the group, it just basically tore it up. Mm. You know, I, I, it's a very common factor, like you say, uh, where young, particularly women, black women at that in the music industry come no. across so many difficulties with contracts. I mean, we're still struggling in the industry. <laughs> mm. It's still happening. I mean, I don't think that ever stops. It's almost like, you know, being black in America or mm. in the world always some kind of disparity against mm -hmm. it. I don't think that we're ever going to be able to outrun that. What hurdles did you guys face in your career, especially during the 90s? I think we faced every hurdle that probably could be known to, to man when it comes down to trying to become an artist that had relevance. You know what I mean? Because we didn't get... We didn't get no artist development when we were with Keith is, you know, as far as how to carry yourself in the business, what to do to become greater and what you have to do in order to do this, do that. You know, and we didn't get a chance to really tour a lot either because he handled so much and he didn't really, you know, take us on a lot of big tours with him like that. So we had skip dates and, and dates that involved promotions, but not a lot of dates that involved a whole bunch of money all the time. And so writing the songs was difficult, too, because he owned half of our publishing because he was our publishing company as well. So it was difficult for us to, to make money when people were suing us for stuff that was on Twisted that we, you know, I guess he didn't really handle right. And so that held our money up for a long time with even being able to be distributed to us. And when it got to us, and you know, a joke would look like crumb in the corner.
You know what I'm saying? By the time you get the money, I'm like, what the heck? What is this? You write on something that sells six million copies or whatever, and then you don't, you can't even buy a freaking Lamborghini or, you know, a Mercedes. Like, what is that? Well, I think it's very admirable of you because not many, particularly women, especially during the 90s, did speak up until it's at a time now where people can talk really freely about stuff. But you have you have said, you know, you give Keith Sweat his dues for putting you guys on and and whatever great stuff happened during tours and everything else. I mean, you've always balanced your compliments to him as well as the bad stuff that went on. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're we're, we're not here to be angels. None of us are angels. You know what I'm saying? And unfortunately, some things make us feel like, damn, man, it doesn't make me look too bad. But, hey, you have to own up to whatever it is that you do in life. It's, 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 it's on you. It's accountability. I, I got to do it. You know what I'm saying? My children have to do it. Everybody should be in that position to look at it like that and not be mad and start. Not, ain't no time for that. I mean, come on. We, we're grownups now. If groups are broken up because someone feels a discord towards somebody else in the group, I think you should just get over yourself. Because what we have to offer is bigger than us. What brought you guys back together after you had split? Because it was too much time and it was, you know how you have stuff that's in your life that feels like it's unfinished? Or it feels like there's, I haven't done all that I could do. And so I, I reached out to everybody. I was like, yo, man, I mean, I miss you guys. What's up? What's going on? You know, we need to. And you have so much history together. I mean, of course, and we're young, too. So we were young growing up, trying to develop and learn one another. And, you know, the more and more you live in life, you realize how important people are to you in your life. And the fact that Athena and LaVon is my circle when it comes down to the presentation that I have been able to address to the world, then they belong to me. Which groups at the time when you guys were out, did you kind of look up to or did you aspire to be like? I always would put TLC first because they were the group that I was around because um, my boyfriend and I, we worked for Babyface, you know, personal assistant for them when I moved here. I mean, that's to, a pretty cool job to have as your first kind of step into the music yeah. industry. How the hell did that come about? Because Face is from Indianapolis. So he grew up with my ex, you know, who helped me put Cut Close together. He grew up with him in school. So they were, you know, and ironically, we all graduated from the same high school. I just came years and years later. And his mother knows my mom and dad, you know, because they're into the church area, you know, the Christian field. My daddy's a, he's a bishop. So you come from one of the biggest families ever, I believe. I have, I have 14 brothers and sisters. So it's a lot of us. That's amazing. And my mom just passed away of COVID last year. So, you know, the end of the year is just really, it's been a very interesting moment to finally realize that, you know, you're not as special as you thought dodging death, you know. So it was our turn. It was my turn. It's been a rough couple of years for everyone, yeah. So I lost my mom, you know, but we're still here. All of the remnants of her is still walking around here trying to become a light in the world, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, what was Babyface like to work for? Babyface was, you know, always working all the time. So he wasn't really always around much to see. He was always in the studio or traveling to L.A., just doing so much. And so it was just really just going behind him. You know what I'm saying? And making sure everything was straight when he came home, making sure, you know, the bills and all that stuff, you know, the little small things like that. Mm hmm. 
just the way that he would write songs, you know, helped me be able to become a song arranger and understand the pattern of how you write a song and the feel of it. We've all been touched by somebody's. TLC was obviously on the face, you know what I mean? And I just love the fact that they had such a warm presence and it looked like they was always having fun. And I wanted that. I envied it. I was like, I want that. I want the friends. I had no friends. I was new here, you know what I mean? And so um, TLC was one of the main groups that I wanted to kind of like symbolize Cut Close with. We're all short. You know, I wanted to, you know, have somebody I can have fun with and create that kind of magic that I felt like they had, you know, with me on the outside looking in. And um, they were dancers and all that. And I used to want that for my group. But then, you know, everybody, everybody ain't dancers. (laughs) (laughs) Did you get to see them a lot or speak with them a lot uh, during your career? We did a couple of shows together. We were in the same circles and stuff. So we went to some parties together and stuff like that. So they were always pretty cool. And, you know, I was always like, wow, they're there. <laughs> you know? Yeah, they stand the test of time, right? But then I guess most 90s R&B groups do. It's such a special era to people. And yeah. I think it takes a lot to be one of those groups or artists that is always remembered for that era and cut close are definitely one of them. Yeah. But which was your favorite video to shoot with cut close? I'll say the most memorable one was get up on it. Cause it was with these big ice blocks. You know yeah. I mean? Where you're all and, inside the ice blocks. Right. Yeah. And we were hoping to see who was the cutest to see who could be, you know, who was going to be the lead with that person. I'm like, let me see. Who I can. And I think I picked the one that I liked first and we left LaVon with whoever was last. <laughs> it was weird to do it in front of everybody. Cause that was one of our first times being in front of people dancing. Like everybody's looking at us. Stop looking at us. What did your mom think about about your videos and music? Because I guess coming from a church background. Man, they, they, they did not support me. No. At all. <laughs> in cut clothes. Would not look at me on the video. Wouldn't look at me on TV. Like, you know, they still ain't really like, you know what I'm saying? Did they ever come to any of your shows? No. <laughs> That'd be sinful. That'd be, you're going to hell. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so did you have to kind of creep out when you were younger to listen to this kind of music? I mean, we didn't creep out because all of us was on the same page. When mom and daddy left, we was like, oh, we're going to listen to Michael Jackson. We put Michael Jackson on. Mm. You know, we have a lot of things in our, you know, repertoire to even, you know, except for Andre Crouch and the whiners and stuff. So it wasn't like we would go out there and buy our own blues. We call it blues. But we got to it whenever we got to it. But it wasn't enough for us to know what was going on in society in that way because it wasn't sustainable. The first glance that I got a freedom drug, I darted through like, ah, out of here. I like in the Twisted video is where all the acting comes in, the 90s style acting. That like the storyline in the video didn't match how the song sounded. Well, you know, Keith had to be a little dramatic. And <laughs> it's all just you know marketing. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone had to do some kind of acting role in right, the video. Right. 
<laughs> what do you miss most about the 90s era compared to the music era today, the music industry today? Well, the 90s era had a little, a lot more coops. I think that the more the music tends to go on in time, the more disrespectful and distasteful it becomes. When lyrics tend to lead people in a certain direction and every the clothes start to follow it, then you know people start to treat you like all of the stuff that they think that these songs are saying because I I had to kind of like break out of the stigma of just people listening to us and thinking about sex songs. Like it was on our back the whole freaking dog on album. And so it takes a lot to try and get out of that because everybody looks at you as a sexual figure. But it was weird when they told us to act more sexy in front of everybody looking at us. So we was like, oh, we don't know if we can do it. So it was very, it, that was pressure. People kind of grow up too quick when they listen to some of these songs that they're not really fit to listen to yet. Do you think the industry does have a lot to answer for in that respect? Because you have artists such as Rihanna, but you've got really young kids singing incredibly promiscuous lyrics. Man, you know, oh Lord, I don't even know if I'm able to say this, but I guess we're about to find out. I don't know that it's the industry of people. I think it's the people that's in control of the industry. Right. They put out there what they want you to hear. They control the narrative of what's heard. They control the narrative of how many times you hear it. They control the narrative of what's inside these stores, what goes on with the music. The music has a lot to do with the clothing as well. There's a huge uh, underlying measure that is really the depiction of why we are faced with what we're faced with in the music industry. And even though we are delivering that music, there's a lot of music out there that you can choose to be able to control society because music does control the energy of society, whether people like it or not, whether they believe it or not, they will, whether you believe anything to be true or not, never stops it from being true. You guys have come to London a lot during your career. They love us. London is yeah. the bomb. You were over in London a couple of years ago, quite recently, right? And we were supposed to go in December, but everything, you know, got shut down because of COVID again, that Omicron. How do you find the vibe in London compared to home? Um, London, they're more open-hearted, I will say. Open-hearted and receptive to uh, the naturalness of who you are. The United States is very wishy-washy. Um, it's almost like you know, a, a swaying tree that doesn't have stable ground to stand on the roots. You know what I mean? We're very yeah. fickle. London is always such a welcoming. They, I mean, you know, I just feel so good when I'm there because it makes you feel like what you've become has been all worth it. Who did you tour with last time you were over here? Was it was it H Town? Um, it was with H Town. We was with um, Mr. Cheeks. We was with Change of Faces. Um, we was with intro. Somebody needs to do a tour around, you know, London and, and the neighboring, you know, cities around it and take us on that tour over there. If I think that would be a great idea. And I think that it will also be a good idea to have a girl tour. You if know? you had to tour with any girl groups, who would you want to tour with? Everybody. <laughs> Everybody. I don't have no reservations about anyone because I, I see I see the greatness in all of us. And I'm like, come on, super friends. 
You know what I'm saying? That's what we are. We're super friends. Let's keep it rolling. That was the no-nonsense Tabitha from Cut Close. Join me, Joanna Chaundy, next time for part one of a two-part special with the members of the biggest 90s R&B girl group who set trends in music, fashion and attitude like no other. Hey, what's up, y'all? This is Chili from TLC, and you're listening to the Baggy Jeans Podcast. I mean, I think I'm the perfect one to talk about that being, I mean, TLC, Baggy Jeans, you know how we do. Check us out.